Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that He gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. When someone mentions God or Jesus, what comes to mind? What do you think about? Do you consider his incredibleness? Are you in awe? Um, Do you think about his grace, God's love, his compassion? Or maybe you're on the other side. You maybe view God as being unfair. Or maybe even cruel because he allows suffering. Or maybe God is just, you know, a thing of mythology. And as Karl Marx would say, an opiate for the masses. There was a gent named A.W. Tozer. He wrote this. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Worship is either pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. So what do you think about when somebody mentions God or Jesus? Be honest with yourself. I think it's important for us to kind of think about that and consider what comes to mind. What does a good answer of this question look like? Maybe it's something like Psalm 8. It says, O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care about them. Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You have given them charge of everything that you have made. You have put all things under their authority. The flocks and the herds, all the wild animals, the birds of the sky, the fish of the sea, and everything that swims the ocean currents. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. I don't know about you, but I don't always live in that place, that that's what I first think of when I think of God. I think it's something we can aspire to and maybe move towards, and perhaps there's a better way that we can start to think so that we can get there more often. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here at MVF, and we are in a sermon series called Better. It's really about the intersection of faith and life together. It's not a question about if you're building your life constantly, but the question is, how are you building your life? What kind of craftsmanship are you putting into it? Are you trusting God through faith to help you build it, or are you doing it on your own? And so we're talking about how to be better, how to win at home. And this is whether you have kids or not, but just how can you do it better? Last week, Pastor Tim and Pastor Don covered this verse. They said, Philippians 4, 8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable 
and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. When I was a kid with my sister, we used to play Slugabug. Do you know that game? You're driving along, you see a VW bug, and you get to slug the other person, right? Okay. It was amazing. As soon as you start looking for VW bugs, they seem to appear everywhere, didn't they? They just kind of come to mind, right? I think sometimes things come to our mind that distract us a little bit. And maybe it's not fair this morning because of the time change, but I'm just going to offer a couple things this morning to you guys that I think would make the morning better. First of all, how about, how about a dozen Dunkin' Donuts? It's a great way to start Sunday, right? Have a dozen, okay? Or maybe again, with the time change, your stomach is grumbling a little bit and you need something more substantial. How about a large pizza from Domino's? Any takers for that? Pretty good, huh? Oh, oh yeah, and with Dunkin' Donuts, of course we can't forget the coffee, right? You gotta have the coffee with it. Maybe, uh, maybe something different. I don't know, like uh, maybe something from Chick-fil-A. Oh, it's Sunday! Yeah. All right. Or maybe, maybe you just need a snack. Maybe you're a little peckish. How about, how about some Doritos? Right? Wouldn't that be great this morning? I think you're right. You want some? Oh, that smells great. This is quality TV right here, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Wow. Did you know that these things are engineered so that you can't have just one, right? They actually are made so that all of your taste buds are being hit at the same time, so you just, you got to have more, right? Ever notice that? All right. What are you going to think about during the sermon? <laughs> all of this stuff, right? Chick-fil-A, you're in it now, right? All right, here, let me... Let me put this stuff away so that you might be able to focus. I'm going to leave the Doritos out, though. It's important for us maybe not to be distracted in life. That maybe we need to spend some more time thinking about spiritual things in God than the distractions, right? Here's an alternative to maybe help us this morning. Uh, Psalm 1, we talked about this summer. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight. What did they delight in? In the law of the Lord, meditating on it day or night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all that they do. Meditating, thinking this through. And what are they thinking about? The law of the Lord which is basically God's expectations for us, but we could also think of it as maybe his guardrails to protect us because he loves us. That's what they're thinking through. Another psalm puts it this way, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now our culture has hijacked this word meditation. And culturally, when we think about that, it means kind of emptying ourselves, right? Emptying ourselves, becoming one with the universe. But the actual meaning of the word and the biblical meaning of the word is opposite. It's to fill ourselves. And we are filling ourselves with God. That's meditation. 
Another way this word sometimes gets uh, translated is the word ruminate. And if you've been around animals that chew their cud, you know that they ruminate all day. They basically chew over and over their food, right? And that's what meditation is supposed to be for us. We're supposed to ruminate. We're supposed to repeat it over and over throughout the day and think about it. We need to be thinking about things other than Doritos. We need to be thinking about God and feeding on that. To ruminate, to think, to review, to ponder, to meditate on spiritual things. Now, you've probably heard this verse before. Direct your children on the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. And the right path that's being talked about here is to follow God, to love others and love God. Now, some of the details as parents today, the way that we might do this, the methods may be very different than what our parents had to face. After all, we have these glowing rectangles, don't we? And they kind of influence how we might do things. We can't get around that. Why is it so important to care about what we think about? Well, how we think forms who we are. Our heart posture, and when I say heart posture, I mean our attitudes, our beliefs, the way that we approach things, impacts everything. It impacts how we trust and follow and obey God. It impacts all of our relationships. I don't think I'm overstating it when I agree with Proverbs 4.23 and say, guard your heart above all else. For it determines the course of your life. Tell you what, let's read that out together, okay? Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Social researchers will call this our worldview. It's kind of this construct of how we view the world, how we approach it, how we relate to it and make sense of it. Sometimes a good way to see this is how, you know, what our work is. If you're a farmer or a rancher, your worldview involves how do things grow, the rhythms of the seasons. If you're a mechanic or an engineer or a plumber or electrician, you're looking at how things work, how they're built, how to fix them. If you're a nurse or a doctor or maybe even a mom, you're looking at what needs care, what needs healing. If you're a teacher, you're considering what's the next step for somebody to be able to grow and to learn. If you're a politician, well, <laughs> let's make sure we vote some people to think in on Tuesday. What do you think, right? Amen. Okay. But the worldview is how we generally look at the world, whether it's things are good or generally bad whether the glass is half empty or half full, right? My mom used to say it was leaking. Other people say it's overflowing. So it depends on all of that. That's our worldview, how we approach it. Our worldview is largely set by the time we're age 12. It's actually pretty young. It can be changed after that, but it usually requires a pretty major life event or even trauma for it to happen, to be something very different. With regard to worldview, Jesus said it this way, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. When I used to work exclusively with kids and parents, I used to explain the worldview this way. So with kids, we have to use their actions to form their beliefs. 
We make them act polite, so they become polite. Kind of makes sense, right? We're training. But during the teen years and then the rest of our lives, we actually flip that upside down. Our beliefs, our heart posture, our worldview form our actions. If we are polite, we act polite. Make sense? I love how God's word is often proven by science and neurology. In particular, there's a neurological process in our brains called synaptic pruning. It's one of those things that just shows the awesomeness of God, how incredible he is. Um, so synapses are basically things in our brain. They're connections between neutrons or neurons. And what they do is that's where our memories, that's our, how we control our body and body functions and knowledge and our personality. Everything that our brain does is all these synapses, these connections between neurons. When a child is born, we have about 100 billion neurons in our head. And if you work that out during pregnancy, that means that every minute during pregnancy, 250,000 nerve cells are being generated to create all of that. That's amazing, every minute during pregnancy. Now the 100 billion neurons can each have up to 15,000 synapses, connections to other neurons. That's massive, that's incredible. And with, when a child is born, they, you know, a baby, everything is new. Everything that they experience is making a connection. A new synapsis is being connected between neurons, and that's how they're starting to make sense of everything, okay? And then about age two or so, the brain starts something new. And what it starts to do is it starts to prune synapses. It starts to actually remove some. And it's basically looking at what is important and used often and what's not. Uh, you can think of it this way. It's like having too many appliances connected to an electric outlet. It's going to fry. So the brain, after a while, starts removing some of those appliances that aren't used, some of the memories and things. That's partially why when we get older, we can't remember a memory when we're two years old. Because our brain at that point is actually remembering things like breathing and moving and balance. Those are the connections that kept, not some of the other memories. We, we start to shed some of the weaker connections, things that aren't used often, to actually strengthen a fewer number of high-quality connections. Now, the brain does this between ages 2 and 10. In particular, about 50% of our synapses are pruned, a huge number. And then that, that process continues into our teen years and even into our early 20s. Um, by the time we become an early adult, the pruning that's going on is mostly in our prefrontal cortex. That's where our personality, our decision-making, our critical thinking is at. That's why, you know, adulting doesn't really happen until a little bit later sometimes, when things are finally set. During this whole process, 2 to 20, sleep is critical. You see, that's when the brain actually does the pruning. It's when there's no more new stimuli. It's just, it's at rest. And it starts going through. It says, okay, what happened today? Do I need to keep this or not? Is this a good connection or not? Am I reinforcing something or not? And then it prunes. God has pre-wired us for every condition. That's why he gave us so many extra things. So then as we start living, we can find out what we actually need to keep in the world that we're living in. 
This explains why people who live in a different culture, who grew up in a different environment, actually think different than we do. Because their, their head has now been wired to match the world they live in. Now there's a couple things about the pruning. If you prune too much, scientists believe that may be related to schizophrenia. You just don't have enough wide things to help you make decisions. And likewise, if there's not enough pruning, that may be related to autism, which makes sense while sensory stuff becomes overloaded because there's too many appliances plugged in. But God has done something amazing with this pruning process too. He's enabled parents to influence what synaptic pruning is happening. And it all is related to what stimuli do you allow your kids to regularly and consistently have. You've got to think through, what are they viewing? What are they involved with? Because we're reinforcing which synapses is to keep and which ones to prune. Are we doing a lot of educational stuff or is it purely educational or entertainment? Uh, just to, to jump on a little on what, what Don did last week, you've got to listen to his message about these glowing triangles or rectangles and um, just how, how this kind of may influence. We've got to be wise with our decisions. Um, we got to think about what do we want our kids to remember and what do we want them to be thinking about. We need to reinforce things. Even as adults or teens, we need to be thinking through what are we reinforcing. And we can help each other with this. People in your family, your friends, if you have conversations and you're asking them, particularly about spiritual things and reviewing what's been happening, it helps them make better connections. Asking like, oh, I know you went to men's Bible study or women's Bible study or life group or you went to church on Sunday. What did they talk about? How, you know, and just kind of, what is God speaking to you these days? What are you learning? And with your kids, you can do the same thing. When you go pick up your kids this morning from MBF Kids, ask them, what did you learn? What Bible story did you talk about? And then this afternoon or evening, maybe do it again. And then later this week, reinforce it by reading that story together. Help influence what's being pruned and what's being kept. God's word helps us with this in Deuteronomy 6. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Repeat them. Meditate. Ruminate. Reinforce. Review these over and over to help set it in their minds. I love how God helps us a lot of times. In this verse, he gives us four times a day to kind of think about that we can do these things. And I'm going to give you what I call the essentials, four things that you can do, one for each of these periods of time. These are very simple, but don't discount just because they seem simple how much influence they can have on your life as well as those around you. The first one is getting up that time of day. And then just have some daily time with God. You've probably, if you've been to church, you've probably heard us talk about this before. Spend time with God in a relationship. But the thing about it is a lot of times we think we have to do this on our own. But scripture doesn't say we have to be locked away in some room completely apart from anybody else to do this. In fact, it talks about us doing it in community often. And so one of the things you can do is just pray together. Pray with your kids, pray with your wife, whatever. 
pray together. My kids and I do this. Uh, when we're driving to school, we'll pray. We'll take turns each day. Who's praying? Just to kind of start the day that way. The other thing is to read some scripture together. And if you don't know where to start, um, an easy thing you can do is if you text the word GO to 720-999-9075, you'll be added to a text thread. And each morning, weekday morning, 7.30 in the morning, you'll get a short little text that has somewhere between three to five minutes of reading. Okay? Pretty simple. It's usually like one chapter or maybe a chapter and a half of a book. Um, We're actually going to start Hebrews tomorrow. So for the next two weeks, we'll be walking through the book of Hebrews together. And with that text, you get a short little question. question may be something to help you understand that passage better, or it may be something for you to ruminate over with that passage during the day. But you can just start there. Read together. Spend a little bit of time. The next thing is on the road. So during the day, memorize and meditate. I'm not talking about volume here. I'm not saying you've got to have like 7,000 verses memorized or anything like that. I'm talking about quality, where it's not just head knowledge, but it's been moved to heart posture, okay? Um, there's an author named Gary Chapman. He's the one that came up with the five love languages that you'll hear about every once in a while. I went to a, a seminar, a conference several years ago. He was speaking. One of the things he talked about is that one of his grandsons was having a character issue. And so what he decided to do is he... he uh, found a verse that was related to that character, and he said, my grandson and I are going to memorize this verse. And a couple times a week, he would, he would be with his grandson, they would work on it, okay? The same verse for a year. And what happened towards the, the end of the year is, at one point, his grandson, instead of acting a certain way like he used to, he acted in accordance to that verse. And so Gary said, ah, my grandson has taken it from here to his heart. And then they picked the next verse. But it was the same verse for a whole year. That's the kind of memorization I'm talking about, where we meditate and we ruminate so it changes us and transforms us. A couple ways to do that. Um, Pick out a verse. Maybe it's something you read that morning. Write it on a post-it note. Throw it in somebody's lunch, right, so they can think about it. Write it on the mirror in the bathroom. While you're brushing your teeth, you can be thinking about it and reviewing it. Uh, A good use of the the glowing uh, rectangles is just... um, I use the Uversion app, and you can create a wallpaper on there of some verse you're looking at. That's, this is the one that I'm working on right now. And so every time I open up my phone, I can see that verse. I think about it for a few moments. I'm memorizing it, working on it, and then continuing, right? It's just an easy way to use it. The next time of day is at home. And I would strongly suggest you prioritize having dinner together. Now, I know you may have different schedules. Things get busy. Um, If you work swing shift or late shift or something like that, make it another meal. Make it breakfast or or lunch or whatever. But prioritize being together with somebody, your family, your your spouse, whoever. Um, And during that time, be intentional. Again, review what you did. If, If you read something in the morning, talk about it in the afternoon. If you prayed something, talk about it then. Um... One of the things, too, is to, to take your, your phone, set it away in a basket on the counter or something so you can just focus. The whole point is to reinforce, reinforce what you've been learning or growing in that day. Um, something we used to do when my kids were younger is we went to Costco and got one of those huge things of jelly beans, okay? And what we would do is uh, when, when the meal was done, we had br- uh, dessert that was, was jelly beans, and 
I would ask a question to each one of the kids, and each, each kid got a different question. It had to do with maybe what they were learning in school. Maybe it was something we were working on. When they were younger, I used to go over our phone number or our address so they would memorize it. And I'd ask the question, if they got it right, they got a jelly bean, right? If they got it wrong, their, their sibling could try to steal the jelly bean, right? So it was kind of fun. Sometimes I'd ask random questions, whatever, right? We just had a blast doing it. Um, they got 10 or 15 jelly beans, not a lot of sugar, but we were all happy. We had a fun time, right? So find something like that that you can do together as a family to reinforce. And then the last time of day is going to bed. And here I'd say use the spiritual discipline that I call God sightings. As Psalm 8 mentioned, God is involved with our lives. He cares about us. He shows up all the time in the big stuff as well as the little stuff. But like that VW bug, we have to be trained to look for him, right? And this is a great thing to do when you're going to bed is to go back over the day and say, where did God show up today? Sometimes it's something simple. Sometimes it's like, wow, did you guys see that incredible sunset? He made that. Isn't God awesome? Or maybe it's more like something big. Grandma came back and she's cancer-free now. That's pretty awesome. He answered that prayer. Or maybe it's something like, I had to have a really difficult conversation with somebody that I work with today, and God helped me through that. So anyways, you review what happened during the day, you find those God sightings, you praise God in prayer for it, and you thank him. You reinforced what happened that day in God's involvement in your life. So these are the things, the essentials. Daily time, memorizing, prioritizing dinner, and God sightings. Again, they're simple, but they're incredibly powerful for us to train our brains to make those synapses about the connections with spiritual things stronger. In the time that we have left, I just want to ask you another question, if I could. What's the most common thought process that steals joy and faith? What's the thing that seems to derail our thinking away from God? Go ahead and shout out an answer. Anybody got some answers for it? What was that? Fear, worry, jealousy. Yeah, I think, I think worry is a huge one, right? Worry, fear, stress, all of those things. We take our eyes off of God and try to control things, which we're actually not very good at. Um, during the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this um, in Matthew 6. He said, I tell you not to worry about everyday life whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for their heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you more valuable to Him than they are? Can all of your worries add a single day to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, 
and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. I don't discount the things that you may be facing. I have no idea the struggles that you have right now. But I want to ask you, what are you focused on? Because if you're focused on your worries, that's the connections that are being strengthened. But if you focus on God and trusting Him, that's how you're going to approach things. The essentials that I just went over, those four things, are not just for kids. They're for all of us. You will find they will help you develop a better relationship with God. And keep in mind, you can't pass on to your kids or anyone else what you don't have yourself. Faith and hope are the antidotes to worry. When faced with troubles, health issues, loss of a job, aging, death of someone you love, can there be any real hope? I think so, yes. There is ground for solid, real, actual, authentic hope. Before we dive there, I think we've got to do a couple pitfalls that sometimes people get confused on, and it has to do with three, three words. Wishes, faith, and hope. There's a difference between them. Uh, wishes are basically a thing of chance, you know? They're completely separate from solid ground. I wish things were different. I wish something cool would happen. I wish I had made better use of my time. I wish I had done something different. The Bible does not talk about wishing, but it does talk a ton about faith and hope. Someone once said that faith works and trusts, and hope waits and trusts. Faith acts in the present based on what is true, and hope expects the future based upon what is true. Faith and hope are how we get past the tyranny of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. A trusting faith produces confident hope far better than anything we can wish for. So do you have faith and hope? Most of you probably say yes, but the question remains, is it a false hope or a real hope? Is it a shallow faith or a deep faith? You see, for some, faith in particular is tied to what we used to do or how we grew up. We used to go to church. We used to pray sometimes. We used to read the Bible. These are good, but by the way, just coming to church doesn't assure you of real hope and real faith. For some, faith is tied to how they act, their character, you know, being generous and honest, compassionate, polite, moral. These are great character traits, but how you act doesn't secure a solid faith or a hope. For some, faith is tied to what you think about God, that maybe there's a higher power, that God is in control, God is love, God is merciful and compassionate. These things are all true, but you have to know the whole of God. You have to know the rest of his character traits, things like justice and righteousness and holiness and how they work together. Hanging your hat on one way of thinking about God's character doesn't secure faith and hope. For others, faith is tied to our feelings, how we feel in the moment. 
feeling that, hey, everything's just going to work out okay. Feeling hopeful. There's not a lot of real confidence there, is there? For all, that's opinion. And does your opinion really change reality? Probably not. You see, real faith is built upon something unchanging, something immovable, something eternal, something solid. After Jesus talked about worry, he shared this parable. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. You might occasionally come to church, but that's not a foundation. You may have great character, but that foundation is not going to stand. You may have good feelings about God and yourself and others. You may have your fingers crossed and you hope, really wish, everything will just turn out. The only true foundation which real faith and hope stands upon and grows is Jesus Christ himself. During his ministry, Jesus asked his disciples this question, but who do you say I am? And Peter replied, you are the Messiah. Each of us are going to have to answer this question at the end of this age before the great, right, the great white throne of God. And at that point, everyone will be there. Everybody who's ever lived, every baby that's still to be born, we'll all be there. And because we're confronted with God and Jesus right there in front of us, we will all say, Jesus is the Lord, the King of Kings, the Messiah. But, but in order to go on to heaven, you have to answer that question now, in this life, with a heartfelt answer that Jesus is more than myth and legend, that he is your Messiah. And this is essentially the gospel. The good news that we can have a relationship with Jesus now and forever as he heals, forgives, transforms, and redeems us. We can't impact our kids and people around us for Christ if we don't have Christ ourselves as our Lord, our Savior, and our Messiah. The better way to build our lives, actually the best way to build our lives, is to do it with faith in Jesus. And the good news is we can do that today. I don't know where you stand with Jesus. Maybe he is already your Lord and Savior, or maybe the Holy Spirit's been working on you, and you're to the place that right now you want to take that step of faith, to come to the place where you do say, Jesus, you are my Messiah. This morning, I'm going to say a short prayer, and while I'm praying, pray along with me. If this is the first time you've ever asked Jesus into your life, I want you just to, to hear the words and and walk alongside me as we go through this to commit your life to him, to accept the free gift that he offers. If you've done this before, go ahead and pray as well. At a minimum, have it be kind of a way that you're remembering what he has done for you.
and what it means that he is your Lord. Let's go ahead and pray together. Heavenly Father, you are incredible. I think of the stars and the moon and just the the huge galaxy that's in front of us and I am in awe. But even in the smaller things, just inside of each one of our brains, how you have made it to work, it's a little bit of a mystery how these cells can have these connections and electricity going between and wires being made and we can remember anything. And how you work on our brains to help us reinforce things and hopefully reinforce them about you. Deep inside of each one of us, Lord, you know our nature and our hearts. We're selfish. We often think more about ourselves than anything else. There are times that maybe our eyes have lingered on something that doesn't belong to us and we've been jealous or maybe we've said some horrible things and mean things about others. Maybe, maybe we've lied just to protect our ego, to protect ourselves. There are so many different ways that we choose ourselves before loving you or loving others and that's sin. And no matter how hard we change, try to change it on our own to clean up our past, we can't do it. We need you. Jesus, I thank you that you are the way that we can be forgiven, that we can be redeemed and those things can be removed. I thank you that you chose on the cross to die for us. You came as a man to live a perfect life because we are so imperfect. We are broken. You loved us so much that you wanted a way that we could spend eternity with you. And so you died on the cross and you rose again to prove who you are, that you are God's son. So this morning, I want to admit that I have sinned, that I've made the wrong choices in the past and left to myself, I'll do it in the future as well. I need your help. I need your forgiveness. Jesus, today I want to believe who you are. That you are available to me every day, not just when I die, but here on the earth today as well. And today I want to commit my life to you, to learning about you, to following you, to, to make new connections in my head, to, to prune some of my old ways and to allow new ways to grow so that I can each day hopefully become a little more similar to you, a little better at loving others and loving God. Thank you, Jesus, for showing us the way. Thank you for loving us long before I knew anything about you. Thanks for loving us first. In your name, Jesus, amen.